0: We're going to be in Revelation this morning, speaking of reigning and God reigning. Uh, If you would like a Bible, there are some in the back there. Carol can uh, pass one out to you if you want to put your hand up or give a New Brunswick um, nod. Uh, We're going to be in Revelation this morning, and um, yeah, God is up to something, and we said yesterday in our prayer, meaning God is up to something. He's always up to something. There's there's no question about that. Uh, It just takes some time for us to kind of catch up to kind of see what he's doing. And uh, I shared a couple weeks ago, I've been pleasantly confused um, in this season of our church in my own personal life as well. Uh, I've been pleasantly confused as to what God is up to, and I've just been so... um, I've never been in a season in my life, at least for a long time, where I've... I personally have not been in a season in my life where I've, I've just seen God... Um, I feel like I'm, I'm sitting in a in a whirlwind of something's going around me, and I feel like God's just, like, connecting things for me at a personal level that I, I just never, it's, it's palpable for me. And um, I say it to encourage you that God is, is up to something. I'm sure some of you have felt the same um, in the season. As we come out, come out of COVID slowly, um, yeah, God, God is doing something. There's no ever question about that, because he is still God and still reigns. And uh, I've been excited for this coming Sunday for uh, the last five weeks, actually, because uh, Katie Lynn Mansvelt was going to preach today. I was very excited for the break. Um, I was very excited to, Josh is going to speak as well, and I was, gonna, I was like, sweet, two weeks off, I can kind of get a little bit of a break. Uh, this has been a pretty intense season, uh, as we all know. And um, so I was excited for that. But as you can tell, I'm standing here right now. <laughs> and uh, I was listening to uh, a teaching this week and just some things people have been sharing with me. Uh, probably Wednesday afternoon, I texted Katie and I said, listen, Katie, I, I think I got I, I to do one more. And, uh, um, and so she's going to speak next week and then Josh. So I'm looking forward to that. But I, I, I really felt like I, I, had, to do, I had one more uh, thing. Maybe to say, maybe not, maybe we'll get to the end of this and, and it's nothing that needed to be said. We'll see. But um, yeah, I really wanted to break, <laughs> so uh, just my, my uh, transparency there. But I really feel like there's something here this morning that uh, I feel hopefully will sum up and kind of put an end cap on maybe some of the things we've been talking about the last four or five weeks. And... Um, Last week, we, I mentioned a story about my father-in-law who has gone to sailing and, and how oftentimes he would say to me on the boat, listen, I'm, I'm going to talk sternly to you, and it's not because I'm mad at you or judging you or anything like that, it's just, I, it's just, I don't want the boat to sink, right? So this might be my, my last one for a little bit anyway. Uh, this may be uh, a Sunday where it feels stern again. And I feel reluctant, reluctant this morning, I felt really re- reluctant to even speak this morning because um, it's just been an intense four weeks, and I want you guys to like me. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but I just feel like this, uh, what's that? What's that? Oh, yeah. And, um, but I, I just really felt this, this, this one, I felt last week maybe have been, may have been Andrew. Uh, giving a stern word. Um, I feel like this, this Sunday is a bit more, I want to hear from the, I feel like the, the real captain of this boat wants to say something to us this morning. Because I am not the captain of this boat. The leadership team is not the captain of this boat. Jesus Christ is the captain of this boat. And I feel like he has something for us this morning. And um, some of us, I feel, we're all waking up from COVID. I was talking to someone this week and it's, it's so important for me to hear. We're, we're all waking up from COVID in, in different ways, right? Some of us uh, are waking up with like, okay, let's get going. Some of us are waking up, it kind of feels like a fog in our, in our heads, right? We're still kind of feeling like, oh, geez, like what's going on? It was just funny because in real life, waking up, from, from, in real life when I wake up, I'm like, I'm, do not talk to me. I don't want to talk. But I also recognize in this season, for whatever reason, I feel like I'm, I'm waking up from COVID the opposite way. I'm like, okay, let's get going, right? Well, what's, what's happening here? Let's, let's get this boat moving. So I just want to say that right from the get-go that we are all, I I recognize that, and uh, it's really important that we all recognize that in one another, that we're all waking up from this uh, (laughs) nightmare, uh, this dream, whatever you want to call it, uh, differently. The question I want to ask this morning uh, is this, why do churches die? Why do churches die? You can already see now why I was reluctant to talk this morning. Why do churches die? Uh, LifeWay Research did a study, and they found that most churches only have one solid, like, generation of life and growth and thriving in them. One generation. After one generation, the church tends to kind of peter out, and it, it ends up not having this. It may keep, may keep going, but it may not have the same kind of, like, life and uh, thriviness uh, in it that it once had. And they also found that um, only 2% of pastors, only 2% of pastors, this is a U.S. study, so keep that in mind, only 2% of pastors who come in after what they call a legacy pastor, the pastor who's been there for 50 years, has seen this generational uh, thriving. Only 2% of the pastors who come in afterwards have have actually see any sort of um, actual experience of thriving and life and kind of like a new wave of energy, lack of language there, but uh, between, you know, it could be attendance, uh, discipleship growth, uh, financial growth, all that kind of stuff. So the question is, we see churches all across uh, North America right now, and even before COVID, we saw churches, uh, the evangelical church has been dying, Right? Churches have been closing down like crazy. We can think of churches even in our own city that have been closing down because they just they, they got nothing left. So why do churches die? A couple reasons. And these are just a couple. There's probably many. But one reason why churches die is because they're like with anything in life, like a tree, anything organic, and the church is supposed to be organic, right? We're made up of people. It's not a building. It's people. There's a life cycle to it, right? Everything has a life cycle to it. And so... Things come to life, there's a generation of growth and health and all this kind of stuff. But then eventually, like with anything else, it, it can die, and that's okay. This is part of the life cycle. Churches aren't meant to last forever in this traditional sense. Churches, so I'll say, think of it this way because we, we all want to, um, we all have, uh, we all, we all want to, I, I do anyways, I don't know about you, but some of you may have a different, but we all want to die. Uh, even, our, even for ourselves, we, the idea of dying sounds great when we think about it if, like, we get really old, we reach the end of our life cycle, and we, and we, we pass in our sleep, right? That's, that, seriously, that's kind of like the ideal situation of what we, what we picture death happening, right? We, we, none of us really want to die, if we're honest, probably, we're scared of that, but at the same time, like, if, if we want to go, the idea of dying and dying in our sleep sounds really nice, we lived a long, nice uh, life, and our time has come, and we pass. That's one reason. Another reason why churches die, like I said, there are probably other ones, but churches also die because God has removed his blessing from them. God has removed his blessing from them. And now, I'll be honest with you, um, I didn't grow up in a charismatic um background so for me to say the word blessing even is a bit of a stretch for me like what does that mean like God's got his blessing on you I've always struggled with that word but the idea is that his presence his life-giving presence has been removed from you from a church that's what we're talking about we say God has removed his blessing from them That one's a bit harder for us to kind of swallow because that doesn't sound too nice, right? And that kind of, it also kind of has a sense of, uh, oh, geez, like, that's a bit of ownership on us. Like, what do we do to deserve that, right? And and it also kind of feels a little unchristian. Why would God, like, God's supposed to be a God of love and grace and all this kind of stuff. Why would he remove himself from us? That sounds a little harsh, Andrew. Let's look to Revelation 2 first. And just like uh, maybe on an airplane, this is your captain speaking and not me. This is Revelation. This is God himself, Jesus speaking here, not me. I say that because, again, I want you to like me. <laughs> what, I'm about, what I'm about to say. The Churches of Revelation. Uh, anyone, I used to be obsessed with reading the book of Revelation. I mean, it's, it's an insane book. I've never actually preached on the book of Revelation because of how insane it is. <laughs> Everyone has so many opinions on what Revelation means, and oh my goodness, like the amount of churches who have been divided over the book of Revelation, oh, blah, this is crazy. So I tend to avoid it just because of just, I have no sweet clue what it's saying. But there are some things, I think, some, 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 some glimpses of um, God's heart, Jesus' heart in the midst of the book of Revelation. There are many things we can learn from it. We shouldn't shy away from it. But there's some, uh, for you teens or uh, kids, like, there's some crazy stuff. If you think the Bible is boring, just go right to Revelation. That will open up your mind to a whole new world around the Bible. We're talking angels and things covered in eyeballs and dragons with multiple heads, and it's, it's wild stuff. It's trippy. We're going to look at Revelation 2.1. I think, oh, man, Catherine, yeah, anyway, Catherine, you're the best. I'll just say that. Um, I'm going to be reading from, I'll read from here. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So just kind of real quick, if we go back up to verse uh, 120, you'll see here the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So someone say that these are, the angels are, possibly pastors, leaders in the church. We don't really know. They could be actual angels. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Just to, be, just to kind of get some definition here. The lampstands are the churches. Make sense? With me so far? All right. And the seven stars are the angels. So let's go back to, uh, again, verse chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right. these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. We're talking about Jesus here. He holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So what it's saying there is that Jesus is walking amongst his church. His presence is walking in and amongst his church. Can you just picture that for a second? Can you even picture that for St. John? Like, Jesus is walking amongst his churches, his presence, Right? It's pretty cool. Do you believe he's walking amongst St. John Vineyard? Revelation 2.2 2 says this. I know your works. There's no hiding it. I know what you're up to. He sees it all. Your toil. So he's talking to this, to this church specifically. He's saying this. I see your toil your toil. In your patient endurance and how you can bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. In summary, this church was killing it. Ephesus was killing it. They They were doing such a great job. They had great. They had awesome theology. They were making sure people were uh, on track with their theology. People were working towards a mission. God says, your works are are really fantastic. They have all the children's ministry volunteers you can think of. All their projectionist uh, spots were filled. Their budget was phenomenal. Everything was great. When I read this, I'm tempted to go find that church. Just kidding. I love you guys. But what pastor wouldn't want to pastor a church like that, right? Or any of you want to be a part of a church like that? These guys were doing it well. They were on mission with God. No one was, no one is tired. They're working hard. Their hand is to the plow. Their compassion ministry was serving hundreds of people. Doesn't say that, but I'm speculating. Serving and being part of a church body was a non-negotiable for this church. Being on mission with this body of believers together was non-negotiable for them. Revelation 2.4 says this, but I, have, I, but I have this one thing against you. I have this one thing. This is Jesus talking here. I have this one thing. You're, you're doing a great job. You've got all these things. And you're doing all these things for me. But I, I have this one thing that yeah, I've got to kind of address here. You have abandoned, some translations say, you have abandoned your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. It is totally possible to serve Jesus, but your love for him can be tucked away in the corner of your heart, it can be tucked away somewhere else. Or in Carrie Underwood's situation, he's in the back seat, right, waiting for Jesus to take that wheel. That was Carrie Underwood, right? Thank you. It is possible to serve Jesus, but your love for him is tucked away somewhere else. Revelation 2.5, remember, 2.5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, And do the works you did at first. I want us to hear this last part very clearly. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is your captain speaking. I will remove your lampstand from its place. This is not a church that has gone through its life cycle and it's just kind of done. Jesus is saying, if these things don't get, if you don't find your first love again, I will remove my presence from you. It sounds like it, doesn't it? We're going to get to that, though, Vanessa, in a second. I would say he's not abandoned us, but there's a, there's a possibility that we have abandoned him, right? And there's a possibility that he hasn't, he hasn't moved. We're going to get to that in a second. That's a great great point, Vanessa. Why do churches die? Here's a lesson from Ephesus that we can learn from. If you love your mission more than your Savior, your Savior will have no part in your mission. I'm going to say that one more time. If you love your mission more than your Savior, your Savior will have no part in your mission. He will remove his lampstand. He will remove your lampstand. This is your captain speaking. If you love your pantry, your kids' church, your building, your preaching more than you love your Savior, he will remove his lampstand. I don't know about you guys, but what a complete waste of time, eh, to be part of a church where Jesus is not at. It is, it's a complete waste of time. He's not a part of it. He's not there. It's a waste of all of our time. That was just the intro. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) That was the church of Ephesus. Everyone take a big, deeper breath. Big, deep breath. I'm not saying that's us, okay? Just calm down. Just let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do. Just calm down. (laughs) Just take a big breath. Bring some coffee if you got it. Church of Sardis, Revelation 3.1. Good old Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, again, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What Exactly. What does that mean? This church, the Church of Sardis, at one time had something going on. It had something going on here that was magical. The Holy Spirit was moving and grooving and doing something awesome. At one time. They started really well. Jesus' presence was front and center. But he's saying, you have not finished well. You have not finished well. Now on the outside, you look functional. You look alive, but inside, you are dead. You are dead. Something happened to the church of Sardis, that we don't know exactly what it is. It could have been arrogance, uh, contempt. Uh, maybe they stopped caring about the lost uh, and the broken. Maybe they stopped caring about the next generation. Uh, maybe they stopped caring about living and loving like Jesus. Maybe they were waiting for the leadership team to tell them what to do, and the leadership team was waiting for the people to tell them what to do. There was a waiting game. Maybe there was a, a messy hiring and firing situation of a staff but they just fell asleep. They laid on the couch, and they fell asleep. They took their hand off of the plow. They said, you know what, it was a great first start. It was great, but you know what, I'm just going to take a nap now. This is getting too hard for me. They were coming to church, but they weren't serving the church. And by that, I'm not saying about volunteering. I'm talking about serving the people. They came to sing songs to Jesus, but stopped sacrificing for Jesus. They got off their mission, and they became a Christian country club. This is the church of Sardis. Revelation 3.2 says this, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Basically saying, wake up. I still got stuff for you to do. I'm not done with you yet. That should give us, guys, he's not saying, I'm abandoning you, Sardis. I'm saying, listen, I still want to use you. I still got something for you. But you got to wake up. You got to get back to your first love again. You got to put your hand to the plow again. Revelation 3.3 says this. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I will come against you. Now that, again, as someone who has grown up the church, is following Jesus, that sounds pretty harsh for Jesus to say that. We don't know what that means. We don't. It doesn't say but we will come again i will come against you but one thing we can take away from the, what he's saying here how seriously does jesus take you living a life on mission with him that's what this verse is asking us and telling us how seriously does he take it I would say pretty serious. (laughs) How serious does it take your life, seeing your life as a living sacrifice for him and his calling and making disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? It's not a big deal, guys. Walk it off. It's not a big deal. I got this. You guys deserve this. Take a break. Lay down. Take a nap. I don't think that's what he's saying here. Why do churches die? Lesson from Sardis. We get off the mission of making disciples in exchange for a snooze on the couch. And I'm not saying sometimes we do need a snooze on the couch. Hear me loud and clear. Sometimes we need a nice, long snooze on the couch. We really do. Jesus here is reminding us that it's not about the snoozing on the couch. It's okay to have a rest once in a while, but at some point you've got to wake back up. Church of Laodicea. I want to say Lucia when I say this. I'm not sure exactly how to say this, but Laodicea. And this is our, our strongest. Uh, comment to the church, I think, out of all Revelation, and we've actually seen some of what uh, Jesus is saying to this church actually said out loud in some of our uh, times of prayer. We've seen it on the mirror here, talking about repentance, and we're going to get to that in a second. But Church of Laodicea says this, verse three, uh, Revelation three fifteen. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Who's heard that verse before? It's a a classic, right? You're neither cold nor hot. See, the thing with Laodicea was it wasn't totally lifeless. It wasn't like there was nothing at all going on. It wasn't like they were snoozing. That wasn't what's going on. Laodicea wasn't totally long gone, but it also wasn't, on fire for Christ at the same time. There was, there's this kind of weird in between here. They were average, okay. And the one French word I know is come see, come <laughs> Revelation three seventeen says this. For you say, I am rich. This is the church that he, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. I'm good. Laodicea was a part of a, uh, was a very rich part of that region. It was a wealthy place. They didn't need anything else in their mind because they had wealth. We may not feel wealthy here in this building today, but I can tell you just by living in North America, you live in one of the top richest places ever in the history of humanity. This, uh, and to use a word that, again, we talked about Ronan putting up here a few weeks ago, this greed... This greed didn't cause them to walk away from the faith. They're not walking away from Jesus here. They actually, they heard the word of God. But they were distracted from the prize, which is Jesus Christ. They were distracted from all the other stuff that was happening around them. From their greed and their prosperity, their comforts. They were distracted. And in the words of the famous song, they lost the eye of the tiger. Mark 4.19 says this. He talks about the parable of the sower. Mark 4.19. And in this parable, Jesus talks about how people hear the word, but it gets choked out by distractions. They hear it, but it gets choked out from all the other things around them, saying, oh, but you should do this, you got this, and all this other, and it gets, it's gone. They become hearers of the word, but do not become doers of the word. So we get to our famous verse, Revelation 3.16. Not to be confused with John 3.16. Very different, but similar, maybe. Uh, Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Who's ever had a nice lukewarm cup of water? Right? It's like, man, it's not like awful, right? It's not like... When we look at the translation uh, of this word, spit out of my mouth, some of you have heard, have heard this before. The word here, you know, it's, it's kind of too bad because the word is spit. But when you look at the translation... The actual word for that is actually vomit. It's vomit. That's the version you have? What version is that? Do you know? Whatever that is. Precious moments. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it's great. It does say vomit. It is very intense. Yeah. yeah So what we can take away from this is that not only Jesus walks not only does he walk away from churches or remove his blessing, uh, come against them, but some churches actually make him sick to his stomach. They actually make him sick. I'm not saying that's St. John Vineyard, but I'm also saying. I'm not saying the opposite either. Why does it make him sick to his stomach, you think? Just like Jeff said, that's pretty intense. It's not just like a, <laughs> like he's vomiting. Here's a possibility of why he vomits. Because when a lost and broken world sees a lukewarm church, they see a lukewarm God. When a lost and broken world sees a lukewarm church, they see a lukewarm God. And God is not just meh. He's not just lukewarm. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the creator. He is our redeemer. He is our friend. He is our savior. He is the bread of life. He is a king of kings. He is a lord of lords. But he's definitely not just. Meh. When we come with our lukewarm worship, and I'm not talking about singing, but our lives, when we come with our lukewarm worship, we are just saying, you're just, you're just not worth it. You're just meh. And instead, we give our passion and our sacrifice to anything and everything but God. And dare I say, sometimes we give our passion and our sacrifice even more to our ministries and our families. More than we do to God himself. He is not meh. (laughs) We've been talking about uh, this whole ripping band-aids idea. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would rip the Band-Aids off of our hearts. That is the ultimate Band-Aid here. Church, there's no, we can talk about ministries and budgets all day long. But our prayer, my prayer is that he remove the superficial treatments as we saw in Jeremiah 3.19. We have put it on our hearts that tell us that there is peace, peace, peace when there is no Peace. But get this, Revelation 3.19, this opening line is very important for us to hear this morning, going back to what Vanessa said earlier today. Those whom I love, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He loves us, church. He loves St. John Vineyard. Don't ever question that. Right? And sometimes it's hard for us to see this. But he loves us as a church. And he loves us so much. And this is where it gets weird. This is where it gets weird. He loves us so much. But and that's why he doesn't want us to stay lukewarm. Because he loves us. He will reprove and discipline us because he loves us. Verse 20 shows us what happens when we respond to him. He's not, and to be very clear, he's not talking about an individual, okay? He's not talking about an individual, he's talking to a church. If I'm verse twenty again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Growing up, uh, I, don't know about, I know everyone's had different experiences growing up in life, but for me, growing up, dinner time was always a very key part of my household. It was a one time where we kind of, during the day, got together. We sat around the table as a family. And we ate together, we kind of talked about our day. Uh, Some nights it was just kind of quiet, no one said anything. Some nights it was full of uh, jokes from my brother and I, teasing my sister or whatever. But the, the family time together around this table was so important. And everything, our whole day revolved around, at some point, coming back around this table and being present with one another and eating with one another. If we respond to him, he will come in and he will eat with us. In other words, the presence of Jesus Christ will be here among us in all that we do and are. We know he's always present. We know that. But he won't be tucked away in the corner of our house with crazy Uncle Rick, where we like to put him. But he'll be at our table eating with us. The thing that everything revolves around in our household he will be at the center of. He will come in and eat with us. There are times when I remember when I went on a mission trip to Mexico. Um, and I, I, It was funny because I always look back on that trip. It's like, oh man, that was such a like crazy, I was a teenage, I was in high school, and I was like, oh, I'm going to see you on a mission trip. I told my mom, I, was like, I raised my own funds and I did that, I went and it was like, it was such a profound time for me. For those of you who have watched The Office, uh, when Pam says, I feel God in this chilies," That was kind of like, it's kind of like that. I felt God in this chilies in Mexico when I went. I did a, some church planning before. Rooftop was a time for me that I found I was so connected to God. I, was, I felt so close to him because we we're, were in this thing. Talking to some of you, you can remember that there's a day at St. John Vineyard, much like my trip to Mexico, where you felt the Spirit of God just resting upon this place. It was palpable. There was life. You could feel the presence of God and I'm not talking about feelings in the, in the, in the traditional sense here. Just, just be clear about that. Sometimes you don't, like as Katie said this morning, we don't always feel stuff. That's okay. But you remember a time where, where we weren't arguing between kids ministry and compassion ministry. People had their hands to the plow. People were serving in different capacities. We were on a mission out of a fire, a love for Christ that overflowed from us. Remember a time when everyone was giving their best. And we so badly want to go back to those moments. We want to go back to Mexico for not just that reason, but for many reasons right now. But listen to me very closely. and If you hear one thing at all, it's this one thing. Going back to what Vanessa said earlier today. God hasn't moved. God hasn't moved. When I think about the good old days, of my time being with Jesus, I can tell you he's he's still there waiting for me. He's not the one who's moved. He's not the one who's abandoned us. We've abandoned our first love. Why are churches dying? Why is St. John Vineyard dying? If we were to close, maybe we were meant to die, as I said before, in our sleep. That could be one possibility. We have had our life cycle, and that's just what it is. But maybe, and this is a big maybe, we, we could possibly die, though, guys, because Jesus no longer is seated at the table. He's no longer seated at the table. His presence has been removed because we've abandoned our first love. We haven't put our hand to the plow. And we can talk about COVID. That's a part of it too. But let's just be really honest for a second. Before COVID, during COVID, all that kind of stuff. Can we honestly say that we have been seeking the Lord through it all? Thank you, Vanessa. And I think a lot of us here, to that point, have been trying. I don't question that. No, it's fine. Let me ask another question as we close. Are you seeking the Lord? Are we seeking Jesus? Like with Peter, Jesus is saying, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, How else can I tell you? Basically, what does Jesus say to Peter? Don't just tell me, show me. Show me, and not by serving in a ministry at a church or giving more money. Show me by getting up on that cross and giving your life. That's how you show me. You're not giving it to the church. You're not giving it to Andrew. You're not giving it to the south end. You're giving your life to me and show me, I'm asking for your whole life. Why could St. John Vineyard close? Not because of the budget, or lack of kids ministry, or the compassion ministry. It won't close because the or can't articulate a vision for the church. I've wrestled through that, guys, this whole past year, and I can tell you I'm over it. It won't because I can't articulate a vision. I know it. when the time comes, God will give us a vision. That time has not come yet. It won't close because of lack of volunteers. It won't close because of lack of new people. Is it possible? I'm, I'm just asking, is it possible? This is not a condemnation pointing the finger at you. I really am pointing at myself. But is it possible St. John Vineyard could close, myself included, Because we're not being truthfully, we're not truthfully answering this question. Am I, are we, seeking the Lord? He hasn't moved. He has not moved. There is still time, and I know COVID has affected us all in so many ways. I want to hear loud and clear, some of us are still waking up from this foggy dream. Dream. For me, though, COVID has only exposed my true answer to, are you seeking the Lord? For me. God loves this church. He has not abandoned this church. But we, the toughest question we can ask ourselves is not around budget stuff, but are we seeking the Lord? Are we seeking Jesus? Let's pray. God, uh, thanks for this morning. God, we thank you that uh, you have not abandoned us. God, that you are, are still present, but God, we, we so badly have a hard time in inviting you back to the table. We've abandoned you. We've abandoned the table altogether almost for other things, circumstances, comforts, So God, may this be a season where we actually take time as individuals, corporately, are we actually seeking you in all that we do? God, we just thank you so much that you love us so much that you have not, that you, that you do these things because you love us, like a good father. God, it's because you want to come back into communion with us that you do these things. So, God, help us to own the things that we need to own here, to repent of the things we need to repent of. And, God, that we would, again, once again, invite you from the corner and bring you, invite you back to the table here at St. John Vineyard. That you would come and eat with us once again. We praise in your name. Amen.